Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode three of Hearing Us Believing. My name is Andrea. And my name is Tamisa. And every week, we will be sharing different stories with you guys that center around our Catholic faith, whether they be about angels, demons, or unexplained miracles, and, you know, just talking about them. So like always, we just wanted to make a quick disclaimer that we are not theologians nor experts, and we do not speak on behalf of the Catholic Church. But we're just two everyday girls that wanted to share these stories that we find really interesting. So we hope you guys like it. So this week, what are you going to be sharing with us, Tamisa? Yeah, so I'm going to share a story about um, a real life psychologist who or I guess psychiatrist, excuse me, that works with the Catholic Church to determine when a person is in need of an exorcist or if there is an actual medical reasoning behind their behavior. So I thought it was really interesting because there's actually a show that me and Julio, my husband, binged back during Halloween time and we loved it. So when I found out about this guy, I'm like, holy, holy smokes, it's like the same person. So we're going to talk about him in a little bit. How about you? Um, so my story is going to be about the miraculous metal. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be sharing a couple little short stories about different miracles that are associated with the miraculous metal. Okay, sounds fun. All right, so do you want to go first or do I go first? How about you go first? I went first last week. Okay, all right. I think I see a pattern starting here. Yeah, we're gonna we're going to be alternating because honestly, I, maybe you feel the same way too, and that's why you were kind of hoping that I would go first. But going first is like way more nerve-wracking because we haven't like I feel like we're still warming up so I'm gonna put that on you for this week you're just mean aren't you yeah I mean I'm the younger sister that's kind of my job whatever it's okay anyway my story is in regards to our lady of the miraculous metal more focused I guess on the miraculous metal which used to be called the metal of the immaculate conception but because of the miracles that are associated with the metal and mm -hmm. just the popularity of the name, it's known around the world as the Miraculous Medal. Now, this story takes place in Paris, France. And on July 19th, 1830, at the convent of the Daughters of Charity of St. Vincent de Paul, a voice woke up St. Catherine Labore. Now, I've heard her name pronounced Labore and Labor, but just for the sake of simplicity and just to keep things, you know, just easier to keep track of. We're just going to refer to her always as St. Catherine. Yeah, I think that probably would be the easiest move. Yeah, it just makes things more understandable. So a voice woke up St. Catherine in the middle of the night. And she woke up to find a child at the foot of her bed who guided her to the chapel where she was met with the Virgin Mary. And St. Catherine heard the Virgin Mary say to her, God wishes to charge you with the mission you will be contradicted, but do not fear. You will have the grace to do what is necessary. And then she told her to tell her spiritual director, only her spiritual director, who was the, the head priest, um, mm -hmm. all that had happened because times are evil in France and in the world. So this is 1830 or 1813? 1830. 30. Yes. Oh, okay. So right now, like in this time period, France is... Uh, there's a lot of uh, famine going on in, in, in France. A mm -hmm. lot of people are poor. A lot of people are suffering. And this was just something that started, well, didn't start in France, but it was more felt in France before it just was felt everywhere. 
Basically, mm. it's what I gathered from my research. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll believe you. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So, she was told, you're going to have a mission. But the Virgin Mary didn't tell St. Catherine what her mission was going to be. And she wouldn't find out for another four months. So, on November 27th, 1830, during her nightly prayers, St. Catherine was at the chapel. And she had a vision of the Virgin Mary now holding a globe in her hand and then suddenly the image changed and our lady was standing on the globe that kind of looked like the world Mm -hmm. and was crushing the head of a serpent beneath her feet our lady had her hands extended out from her sides Mm -hmm. and rays of light um our lady had her hands extended out from her sides palms facing forward and rays of light were beaming from the rings that she wore. And these rays of light represent graces for which people forget to ask. And the image of the Virgin Mary began to rotate. And then suddenly she could see the image of a cross on top of the letter M that was Mm -hmm. surrounded by 12 stars. And within the image, towards the lower left, was the Sacred Heart of Jesus, which... Uh, for those of you who don't know, is a heart that has the crown of thorns on it. Mm-hmm. And then towards the right of the image was the Immaculate Heart of Mary, which is a heart with a sword piercing it. You know, I have, I don't mean to interrupt you, but like I have, I'm having like one of those like Mandela effect moments where I could have sworn that the image was actually both of those two things combined. I, I, I don't know why I'm picturing the heart with the thorns but with the sword through it at the same time mm, no they're two separate hearts one is for jesus and one is for mary wow that is crazy okay well that just blew my mind for like the strangest reason yeah and they're both below the the cross that is above the m so just mm-hmm. picture a cross an m below it and then to the right of the m a little below it is the Immaculate Heart of Mary on the left mm-hmm. is the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and they are all within um, like an oval, and the 12 stars are around the perimeter of that oval. So definitely a lot of details. A lot of details, a lot of details. But Our Lady asked St. Catherine to turn the image into medals, saying that for those who wore it with confidence, there will be abundant graces. Mm-hmm. And so St. Catherine told her spiritual director and after, no, he didn't really quite believe her. No, I noticed this as a theme a lot too with a lot of priests. They don't want to yeah. believe the miracles that are being presented to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so he didn't really, really do anything about it, even though she told him what the Virgin had asked of her. But after about two years, the Virgin Mary appeared to, to St. Catherine again and was disappointed that the image hadn't been made into medals yet and hadn't been distributed yet. So the priest took the information to the archbishop without revealing Catherine's identity, uh, St. Catherine's identity, excuse me. And the request was eventually approved and medallions were designed and produced in 1832. And at first there were only um given out in Paris mm-hmm. and then slowly throughout the years it started spreading to the rest of France and then to Europe 
And now there are millions of medals worn by the devout around the world. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting, too. And I know, again, it's a small detail to point out. But the fact that the Virgin Mary gave her or gave them two years before she came back being like, okay, I'm here to check your homework. What have you done? I think that's kind of funny because I feel like in a lot of the stories that I've I've read about about other saints or other miracles, it tends to seem that like the Virgin Mary appears more frequently than that. Yeah, right? well, I mean, well, the first two apparitions were within four months of each other, um, yeah. but for the third, it's kind of like you know a disappointed mother doesn't not even mad she's just disappointed like exactly such a mom move yes exactly very it's very much a mom move Mm -hmm. um so a little quick side note um saint catherine spent the rest of her life caring for the elderly and the infirm and for this she is known as the patroness of seniors Mm -hmm. and she was canonized in 1947 and Pope John Paul II used a variation of the miraculous medal as his coat of arms. He used the Marian cross, which mm-hmm. is just a plain cross with an M underneath the right hand side of the cross, mm-hmm. which signifies the Blessed Virgin Mary at the foot of the cross when Jesus was being crucified. Yeah. So I thought that was a really interesting fact. Yeah, it's definitely a nice little detail to have there. Yeah, yeah. And so that is the story of how the Miraculous Medal came to be. Um, So now I'm going to talk about three different miracles that are associated with the Miraculous Medal. Mm -hmm. They're not really long stories, but I think they are um, a testament to the miraculous qualities of the the medal and, and the graces that the Virgin Mary bestows on those who wear the medal. Mm hmm. In 1834, only two years after the first copies of the Miraculous Medal were made and distributed in Paris, and one person who had heard about the medals was a 70-year-old, 70-year-old impoverished widow who had entered a nursing home after a really bad fall in August of the previous year. So not only did she have to drag her left leg, she needed assistance walking and she had a lot of difficulty sitting down and then she had a lot of difficulty getting back up so she was known really bad shape yeah that sounds really sad when she heard about the medal she requested one in january of 1834 Mm -hmm. and as soon as she received it in march of that year she went to confession and the next day was the first Friday of the month, and she just received the Holy Eucharist and began praying a novena to the Sacred Hearts of Jesus and Mary. Mm-hmm. By the seventh day of the novena, the widow didn't feel any more pain. And as soon as she started, um, and soon after, she started walking without needing help. Mm-hmm. And then to top it off, at the end of the novena, she could climb stairs, she could kneel. How is that not proof that that is a miraculous medal? Yeah. That is that a is, miracle. That is a miracle. And that's so, that's so sweet too, because like, and just, oh my goodness, it just always breaks my heart. Anytime I see like elderly people that are, you know, in pain and have, you know, different varying levels of disabilities. So mm-hmm. that's so, so powerful that, you know, she found out about this, took action, leaned into her faith and then was, was cured. Experienced yep. a miracle. She was cured. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so moving on to the next story, this is only a few years after the miracle of for the widow. Um, in eighteen thirty six, another miracle occurred, but this time in Belgium. So Rosalie Ducas, a healthy toddler, suddenly lost her vision in November of eighteen thirty five at the ripe old age of four. So as you can imagine, this little girl was traumatized and as and as one website said, she was disturbed day and night. Oh. What they meant by disturbed? I think she was just broken, honestly. Yeah. And so realizing that Rosalie, the little girl, needed help from above, her parish priest gave her mother a miraculous medal. Mm-hmm. And so in June of 1836, the mother placed another medal around Rosalie's neck and she started praying a novena for her. Within six hours of placing the medal around Rosalie's neck, she stopped complaining of pain. And then on the fifth day of the novena, Rosalie opened her eyes. Whoa. Yeah. And then the parents, you no, know, they're super hopeful. Their their little girl's finally opening up her eyes. You no, know, they yeah. prayed on even more and harder. And then on the ninth day of the novena, to everyone's delight, to everyone's amazement, Rosalie got her sight back and felt no more pain. Oh, oh, that's so nice. Oh, jeez. And how old was she at this point? I know you mentioned she was four years old and she lost her vision. Um, we're going to say she's around five at this point because she was about four and a half when she okay. lost her sight. So about seven months later. Yeah. Uh, she's five at this point. We're going to we're going to call it. She's five. We're going to call it executive decision. She's five years old. So at five, Aww. she got her sight back. That's so nice. Oh, geez. Because I can't imagine the other day, like me and Julia were having like a really random conversation about the different like senses we would be OK with like losing and vision was at the very bottom of that list. I can't imagine how terrifying it would be to just lose your sight, um, especially if you've already known what it is to see with your with your eyeballs. So that's that's a really that's a nice story. Yeah, losing my sight is not something I ever want to think about. I mm-hmm. honest to honest to God, I don't know how I would react to it. Um, yeah. So that's not something I really want to think about. Um, so my last story. Mm-hmm. coincidentally takes place in, in the United States and does not take place in the 1800s like my first two miracles mm-hmm. but rather in 1948 oh okay so a little more recent you know probably a little bit more relatable so before you get into that 1948 I know you mentioned she became a saint in the 1940s was it also 1948 or before or after this miracle she was canonized in 1947 Fourteen seven. Okay, so it was a year before. Yeah, she was she was canonized a year before this next miracle I'm going to talk about. Okay, cool. So my last story takes place in the United States in 1948. A priest, Father Hardin is his name, encountered a 10-year-old little boy who was in a coma after a sledding accident. Oh. Now, Father Hardin didn't really believe in the miraculous medal didn't really think it worked or that it made a difference um but as a priest he had been told that he needs to you know spread the word about the miraculous medal promote it to others because the blessed mother works you know in mysterious ways she really does work miracles through the the medal um so he figured okay here's this little boy who's in a coma 
maybe it'll help. No. What, what can it hurt? So a sister who worked at the hospital found a medal and she found a ribbon for the priest to use and they hung it around the boy's neck. Even though the boy had been diagnosed with inoperable permanent brain damage, the priest read the prayer that mm-hmm. enrolled the boy in a, a con- confraternity, like a community for the miraculous medal. And as soon as he finished the prayer, the boy opened his eyes and asked for his mother and asked for ice cream. Oh, that's so sweet. And I love that he's asking for ice cream. <laughs> oh, that's like very strong priorities. Like, I need ice cream, please, right now. Well, a priority was he asked for his mother. Oh, yeah, true. And he asked for ice cream afterwards. So I think his priorities are right, you mm-hmm. know. But top it off with ice cream. Like, he's a 10-year-old little boy. Yeah. So it was the first time that the little boy had spoken in nearly two weeks. And then they did new x-rays to to see, you know, how he was. And the, sh- the x-rays showed that the brain damage had disappeared. Mm-hmm. And then the boy was released from the hospital about three days later. And so the little boy and his family and the priests, everyone's belief in the metal changed forever. They were true believers. That's so, that's a, that's a really nice story. Oh, wow. Oh, I mean, all of those are really nice, but I, I really like that last miracle the most. I thought you might, as someone who can only eat a little bit of ice cream, I thought you might enjoy <laughs> that. I'm not going to lie. The ice cream little bit definitely like tits me over the edge i'm like oh wow this kid this kid's special right here i mean the miracle's cool and all but i mean ice cream kid after your own heart huh Mm-hmm. yep so those are my stories on um the miraculous miracle and how it truly does grant graces to those who wear it and mm-hmm. for those who believe in it and even for those who do not believe in it well i really like that story thank you so much andrew for sharing that that was that really was a good one I'm glad you enjoyed it. All right. Now, I want to hear about this. What did you say it was? Psychologist? Psychiatrist. Psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. They get very touchy if you say it incorrectly. If you you call them a psychologist when they're a psychiatrist. Well, that's why I was asking for clarification. Thank you very much. No worries. But yeah. So um, I mentioned earlier, like at the intro of our episode, that... Me and Julio back in Halloween found a TV show that we really, really enjoyed. And so just to like give you a quick bit of context about it, it's called Evil. It's a CBS um, show that I think premiered like in 2019. Um, but if any, if it is still available on Netflix, we, you can watch it there. That's where we saw it. It is so good. We absolutely loved it. We like binged it all in like one week which for me is a really long time but Julio takes his time when it comes to binging shows like he would actually have to stop me and say we cannot keep watching this it's been five hours oh he's no fun he's no fun he doesn't understand our family so listeners our family we go hours and hours binging our favorite movies our favorite shows this is how we consume media and Julio is not like this and it's so hard. He's going to have to adapt really fast because the we and you are not going to change when it comes to binge watching. As you can tell listeners, this is this is very important to us and I've made very big adjustments for my husband when it comes to watching movies and shows, but he is getting better. Now we can actually watch 
two episodes of a show in a row without him complaining before it would be one episode and then he would complain but now we've gotten to two episodes so I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with his his growth come back to us when you're at five i know right but when it came to this show again evil that is what it's called we we binged it so hard and it was so good so just to give you like a little synopsis of what it's about it is about a um, skeptical forensic psychologist who, through some series of events, partners up with a um, with a sem- semin- seminarian. Wow, that word's really hard for me. Didn't you say he's a psychiatrist? Yes. So the real person is a psychiatrist. In the show, the woman is a psychologist. Oh, okay. So there's a distinction. Sorry about the confusion. In the show, it, it is about a forensic psychologist who is very skeptical, um, partners up with a Catholic seminarian. And if I'm saying that word wrong, correct me, but it's a hard word to say. Seminarian is correct. Okay, good. It just sounds wrong. But it partners up with him and also their technology contractor, and they investigate different supernatural events and trying to determine if these people that are afflicted by you know supernatural events or things that they just cannot explain if it is due to medical reasons or something that they can explain through technology or if it is something that requires the catholic church to intervene and perform an exorcism or something like that so it is really good and i'm going to tell you andrea as As we mentioned before, you do not like scary things. I don't think you're going to like this show because this show is scary. It really freaked me and Julio out. Like, I screamed quite a bit. And this coming from someone who loves scary movies. Oh, yeah. And even Julio can do scary. Mm Mm-hmm. So if it scares you, there's there's no hope for me. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is really scary. I mean, it has scary parts, but the stories themselves are really good. So, uh, for example, one of their, not to, spo- I'm not going to spoil anything, but they have an episode where they're trying to figure out if somebody is possessed. They have an episode if they're trying to figure out if something is a miracle. They're trying to um, figure out what's causing this mass affliction on a group of girls. And what's really cool is that slowly but surely, the psychologist starts to believe. She has things that she cannot explain. And again, she is fully rooted in her medical background and in logic and anything she can try to do to rationalize what is happening. But series of things happen in her personal life that she cannot explain. And it's just absolutely terrifying. So it has a lot to do with faith and like demons. It's not so Mm -hmm. much like paranormal. We have ghosts or it's Mm -hmm. something extraterrestrial. It's focused on the demonic yeah it is focused on the demonic and it takes it from a catholic point of view which i as i'm sure you do can really appreciate that um and even there is a lot of details in the show that like i would pause it and i would tell julio who he is catholic as well but just not as educated as you and me are um well i wouldn't say like we're super educated on it but you know we did go to you know catechism yeah we went to catholic school so yeah okay I, I, I can I can understand that. Yeah, exactly. So I would pause it and tell him like, yeah, that that is true. That is accurate. Or I would pause it and I'd give him my opinions on it. And it would it was very 
um, thought-provoking and it was just a really well done show so anybody who likes this type of stuff highly recommend it I think there's going to be season two uh, coming out next year um, but yeah it's really good as soon as it was over me and Julio were like okay can we like rewatch it again like right now but we stopped ourselves we have limits but it is really good so now that you understand the show when I was doing some research to figure out you know, what to talk about for this week, I found um, an interesting article about Dr. Richard Gallagher, who is a board-certified psychiatrist, and how he partners with the Catholic Church to determine if a person is possessed and if they need to move forward with an exorcism. So really, it was just like the show, and I'm like, holy, holy smokes, let me look into this. So Richard Gallagher uh, like I said, he's a board-certified psychiatrist. He studied at Princeton. He trained in psychiatry at Yale and also in psycho and psychoanalysis at Columbia. Okay. Yeah, so he has a very long list of, you know, reputable credentials um, as well as his own practice. And what ended up happening for him that got him into this, this career path uh, working with the Catholic Church is that in the late 1980s, right, like the height of like the national panic of, you know, Satanism, um, a Catholic priest reached out to him asking for his professional opinion about whether or not a woman was suffering from some sort of mental disorder, mental illness, um, so that they could understand if they needed to get her admitted into a hospital or if they could proceed with an exorcism. That kind of makes me think about last week's episode, how yeah. we talked about that process where the Catholic Church is going to first check to make sure someone isn't, you know, mentally ill before they could potentially do more harm to a person by denying them the care that they actually need when really it's not a possession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but yeah. And they have to go through that process before they before they determine it truly is a possession. OK, we need to go ahead. Exactly. So that's, again, that's why I think it was so interesting to like bring up this topic now, um, because you just mentioned yours last week, and it definitely touches on the same thing. So it's a nice little intersection right there. But um, what ended up happening is, you know, like I said, the priest reached out to him and wanted his opinion. And Dr. Gallagher was like, I am a skeptic. I really don't believe in this stuff. But you know, the, the Catholic priest was like, that is exactly why we want you. We want your professional opinion. So come and observe what's happening and let us know what your diagnosis is and not let it be clouded by faith either mm-hmm, exactly he didn't want him to be clouded so this is their story so she was a middle-aged woman who was dressed all in black black flowing clothes lots of black eyeshadow and she called herself the queen of satan so yeah i think she's uh she has a particular vibe that she's trying to go for. I can picture it in my head. And I haven't even seen the show. Yeah, very. Well, this is I mean, it's not even a show. This is the real deal at this point. Um, but yeah, so Gallagher is going to end up referring to her as Julia. That's the pseudonym that he gives her. Um, so Julia was Julia approached her local priest because she was convinced that she was being attacked by a demon. So the priest then referred her to get an exorcist or to get an exorcist and to talk with him, um, try to get more information. And that's the exorcist who reached out to Dr. Gallagher 
um, to get the mental evaluation. So what he saw, he could not explain. He reports that he saw objects flying off the shelves around her. She would somehow know personal details about Dr. Gallagher's life, like how his mother had recently passed away from ovarian cancer um, and other, you know, secret details that a stranger would have no way of knowing, Um, as well as the fact that his cats at home were fighting each other the night before her um, exorcism sessions. And she would also speak in languages that she claimed she never knew before, such as Latin. So there was a lot of things he just could not attribute to mental illness. Um, And another story that happened while they were doing this exorcism on her was he was talking on a phone with Julia's priest one night, and he said both of the men heard a demonic voice that came from Julia during her trances, even though she was nowhere near the phone and she was miles and miles away, they heard her demonic voice on their telephone call. Oh my God, that is so scary. I know, even telling you about this gives me, I know, I have goosebumps. It's just, wow, I can't even, and it's just, it's very scary. Um, so as you can imagine, um, her, him and the team of exorcists continued to see her and treat her. But unfortunately, eventually Julia herself just called off the sessions and she said she was too ambivalent, um, and that she admitted that she was actually relishing some of these abilities that she was getting during her trances. And in her words, she was playing both sides. So she called off the exorcism says this just isn't this isn't working i'm not i'm not invested um yeah you have to really want to be liberated yeah you have to like you yourself have to be invested in and wanting this to happen and that's what uh gallagher says is that exorcisms is not some sort of magical incantation normally a person who has normally a person has to make a sincere spiritual effort to So it had to be everybody was playing their part and Julie admitted that she just wasn't. So that was the last of their their sessions together. Um, So about a year afterwards, Dr. Gallagher heard back from Julia um, and she told him that she was dying of cancer. So Dr. Gallagher said, you know, if you want more help, like we would love to help you again. Like I'll reach out to the priest while she's still physically able to withstand an exorcism. But her response was just, oh, well, you know, I'll give it some thought. But unfortunately, they never got back in touch in time and she did pass away. So it's it's a very interesting story. But like I said, this is their his first experience with working with the Catholic church. And after this, um, after this experience and this exorcism that he was a part of, he continued to work with the Catholic church for the following 25 plus years. And to this day, he is still, um, he still works with them on any cases that they have anytime that they require, you know, professional opinion. And he is a member of the international association of exorcists. Oh, he's part of it. He is. He is part of that organization. Um, And so he also, what I think is really interesting about him is everybody contests that he, or everybody agrees 
that he is a stickler for the scientific method. So he himself actually released a book, um, which I'll talk about a little bit later, but he wants to teach people that they need to follow the facts wherever they may lead. And so he says, I don't believe in this stuff because I'm a Catholic. I follow the evidence. So that is, I think, a really interesting part. And I think something that perhaps a lot of other people who aren't as religious or are far more skeptical, they tend to think, oh, okay, people are taking these actions because they're just choosing to believe that there are things like the demon, like demons and devil. But no, like you have to acknowledge people arrive to this conclusion because there is evidence. And the fact that he, who is, you know, highly educated, highly intelligent, very rational minded, can still look at these type of events and say, okay, this cannot be explained by any rational means. I think that's incredibly powerful and needs to be acknowledged. I like that. Yeah. Um, and also, just to make a quick disclaimer, he never makes possession his diagnosis. He's just simply saying after his evaluation that there are no conceivable conceivable medical causes. So he won't actually like write down on a paper saying, yep, she's possessed, but she'll just let them know, yeah, this is not due to any medical uh situations or medical uh, disorders that I can I can diagnose so something that I also saw that stuck out to me and I found it really powerful as well for like my own personal reasons is um, I saw that his favorite source of inspiration is actually from Pope John Paul II and one of his statements that he made about faith and reason so the Pope had wrote had written um there can never be a true divergence between faith and reason since the same God who reveals the mysteries and bestows the gifts of faith has also placed in the human spirit, the light of reason. I, I just love that. I love that statement so much because I, I think I've mentioned this to you before, but back when I was in college, I was briefly um, in like a science major. And I remember having a conversation with Julio where he was asking me questions that to me sounded so, so silly. Um, but he was so nervous to ask them because he thought because I was religious, I was going to not believe in certain things. And I told him, you know, I, I may be Catholic, but I'm also, I'm smart. I know how to acknowledge facts and evidence and to make reasonable conclusions. So those two are not, are not separate. They're not, they're not mutually exclusive. Yeah, exactly. They're not mutually exclusive. And also, just so you guys know, the concept of possession by spirit isn't limited just to Catholicism. Um, Muslim, Jewish, and other Christian traditions also regard possession um, by spirit as being an actual thing that can occur and things that they need to address. I think because of the media and because of, you know, big blockbuster movies, people can hear about possession and hear about exorcisms and be like, oh, that's just a bunch of hocus pocus, hocus pocus, but it's not. It's something that is shared through lots of different religions and, and cultures. So again, it just kind of, it's very eye-opening just to be reminded about those details again. Um, yeah, it, it makes me, I'm sorry, we're going on a little bit of a rant, but it makes me mm -hmm. think of, as um, one movie I had seen years ago i think it's called the possession and it's uh centered around a dybbuk box that was open yeah. and mm -hmm. the there's no priest in this movie at least not that i remember it was a, a it's a rabbi, rabbi. yeah so a rabbi. <laughs> and 
so they they do believe in this because the the spirit you no know, that got out of the box of course mm-hmm. possessed the 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 girl but yeah so they it is something that is real yeah and exactly a lot of these stories are based on true stories yeah exactly and i th- i think it's so funny that you mentioned that movie because i remember when i saw it as a kid and i saw a rabbi i'm like what the heck there, what's this rabbi doing and then obviously i was just so ignorant at that time and afterwards when i like learned up more about the matter i'm like oh well you look at that so it's really education. important to just educate yourself because oh wow yeah i was so enlightened then and there but yeah but if you want to continue to enlighten yourself like i said um dr gallagher released a book uh, so in 2019 he published a book called demonic foes my 25 years of psychiatrist i'm sorry let me repeat that demonic foes my 25 years of a psychiatrist investigating possessions diabolical diabolic attacks and the paranormal sorry that's like a big mouthful of a title that is a huge mouthful of a title yeah man it was just, i was getting really tongue-tied but in this book he is recounting some of his different experiences um there's a lot of other stories that i found about him um obviously i couldn't find too much of the details without actually purchasing the book and i just i don't really want to have a book about that in my home it's scares me a little too much but it's almost kind of inviting too yeah you know I, th- I think I'm gonna put a, a limit and put some boundaries up and say that's just not gonna come inside inside of my house but he in his book he mentions he's not trying to convince the readers of you know one opinion or the other when it comes to this matter but he's just trying to share the facts that he lived and allow the reader to make up their own minds themselves so again he finishes it off with a very scientific scientific mindset. So yeah, that is my story. Interesting. Thank you very much for sharing that. That's pretty good and it's and I think it kind of um one it follows up on what we talked about yesterday, but I think too it, it kind of expands a little bit more not so much from the you know catholic point of view but also the scientific point of view. And so I think that covers both bases and I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. I hope everybody enjoyed it. And it is, again, just to put my little plug in there one more time, if you guys have the ability or are interested, watch the show. It's really interesting. If you're interested, look up his book. It is, I'm sure it's very fascinating or just look up more about his, his life. It is really cool. All the different priests and exorcism that exorcists that he's worked with over the years. Um, but yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed both of our stories. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter at Hearing is Believing Podcast. And if you have any stories, please, we would love to read them. And if you'd like us to share them, please let us know. You can email us at hearingisbelievingpodcast at gmail.com. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.